The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. ...of the Lord, but this morning we get back to Exodus. And so would you turn in your copy of God's Word to Exodus 12, 43. Exodus 12, 43 is where we'll pick up as we've been making our way through the book of Exodus this summer. God of glory will continue on through the next several chapters, just in case you're wondering where we're going. We'll make our way through uh, chapter 18 in Exodus before we uh, move on to another series. But the, the first 18 chapters of Exodus really form the, the first section of the deliverance of God's people. And so this is where uh, we find ourselves, Exodus 12, 43. Now, uh, several times over the last few weeks, I've received a text from my wife uh, that has said something along the lines of, Blair, you left the stove on. Or, uh, by the way, honey, you left the stove on again. And uh, I've been receiving these texts as I was leaving in the morning, driving to the church, or uh, it was after I got to the church and uh, my wife came into the kitchen and found that the stove was on after I made breakfast. And so I typically have some bacon and eggs and a little scramble thing that I make. That's my morning protein to get me going. And for whatever reason, over the last few weeks, I don't know, maybe old age or something, but I have forgotten that important detail, turning off the stove. See, my mind was already down the line. It was already consumed with thoughts about the day that I forgot an important detail. A detail uh, that in this case could cause serious injury or even potentially burn our whole house down. And thankfully, I have a wife who makes up for these things and who you know, smells it burning or whatever it may be. But we as humans, we, uh, we're, we struggle with forgetfulness, don't we? Maybe in little things, maybe in the big things, but we're just prone to forgetfulness. We forget people's names. We forget where we put our keys, right? We, we forget what we wore yesterday. More significantly, we easily forget who God is. We forget what he's done in the past. And in our journey through Exodus, up till this point, God has made himself known in some magnificent ways, right? Even if you're a guest with us today, you maybe are familiar with Exodus, and you know how God has, uh, he's, he's, he's seen, he's heard, he's known, he's remembered the oppression of the Israelites. You've known the, the story of Moses being spared as a baby, you know, it is here in God's miraculous work that a bush was on fire and not consumed, and it is there that God revealed himself as Yahweh, as I am, or the, he's the eternally existing one. You've seen his incredible miracles. He's the, a staff turned into a snake, and then those ten great and grievous judgments unleashed on the land of Egypt. Everything from the river Nile turning to blood to locusts and hail and then the faithful one of the death of the firstborn. We've seen God then pass over the firstborn of Israel to liberate them from, say, from slavery. And where we left off a few weeks ago, the people of Israel were then uh, set free and were just beginning their journey to the promised land after Pharaoh had thrust them out, after the Egyptian people paid them to leave with silver and gold and clothes uh, for the journey. And with all this behind them now, they're following the Lord in faith. 
They're not taking that, that first step of freedom. And before they even get too far into the wilderness, before they get too far on this journey, God will establish some practices so that they do not forget who he is and what he's done. It won't be long before the Israelites, before they start complaining, before they want to revert back to where they've come from and when they will be enticed by the new cultures. And so right away, God gives them instructions. See, here's the main point of our passage today. If you're taking notes, here it is. You want to write this down. That forgetfulness is the first step away from the Lord. Write this down. Forgetfulness is the first step away from the Lord. And this is why we are commanded all throughout Scripture to remember. It's, it's a repeated command. Over a thousand times we're told to remember something. We're to remember his deeds, the psalmist will say. In Ephesians 2, we're told to remember that we were once separated uh, from Christ, but now have been brought near. We're to remember who God is, his character. We're to remember what he's done. We're to remember his deeds. We're to remember what he's promised. We're to remember what he said in his word. And so as believers who want to pursue hard after God, especially in our day, we must fight against forgetfulness. If forgetfulness is the first step away from God, we must fight against forgetfulness. And so our text today has three lessons for us on how to fight forgetfulness. And here's the first point, and then we'll read part of the passage. We fight forgetfulness by following the Lord's commands. We, forget, we fight forgetfulness by following the Lord's commands. Look with me at your Bible and hear as I read Exodus 12, beginning in verse 43. The story picks up and goes like this. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land. But no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. This is God's word for God's people. And so here, we, like I said, we were jumping back into the story and, and God is giving them instructions like this to keep them on the narrow road. For the Israelites, he would institute this, uh, this Passover, this annual Passover celebration, and then a week-long celebration of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread so that they would remember God passing over them, of God's great and glorious mercy upon them. And so he institutes this celebration. Listen to how the instructions then. Come back to uh, Exodus 13 and beginning in verse 3. Here's how the rest of the instructions go. It says, then Moses said to the people, remember, and underline that if you want, underline this day in which you came out from, the, from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out of this place. 
No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today in the month of Abib, you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. And on the seventh day, there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you. And no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. Now, this is God's word for God's people. And between these two sections that I've just read you, God commands the who, where, how, what, and when of the memorial celebration. See, in order to help the Israelites fight forgetfulness, he gives them these commands that they are to follow on an annual basis. As they come to the Passover and remember this, and as they, as they celebrate the week-long feast of unleavened bread, the who was commanded. It was the only, the committed those who had been circumcised, this sign of the covenant that God had given Abraham way back uh, hundreds of years beforehand, that was a sign of the, of the people of Israel. Those who followed in faith, this sign of the covenant that, that all the males would go through, that was painful, that was intimate, that was a, as a constant reminder that they were set apart and different. And all who were circumcised were invited to this. It was regardless, there's not based on social status, slaves could do it. All those who were following, even strangers, they would come and be a part of it. But foreigners who were not circumcised, those who were uncommitted, were not allowed to participate. They would just have to watch. The where was also prescribed. They had to, in the house, you see in verse 46, staying inside so that they would remember that they stayed inside as the Lord passed over on that fateful night in Egypt. The how of how they were to eat the lamb was prescribed for them. It was commanded the lamb was to have no broken bones, but yet to be roasted whole and then set upon the table whole as a sign of unity amongst the people that were gathered there at the table. That no, nothing was broken off, nothing was broken and, and, and divided or separated, but they, as a symbol of unity of those eating it. The what was commanded at the Passover? It was a, as a lamb, a lamb a year old, unblemished. Not the sickly ones, not the, uh, not the uh, weak ones, but a lamb unblemished for the Passover. And then during the week, this unleavened bread, a feast to remember what God had done and the haste in which they fled out of the land of Egypt. Even the when was commanded. In this month, the time, our time of March, April, in the springtime, when the livestock were born, when the livestock would be turning a year. And so all of these are prescribed for them. The specific details are so that they would really actually not forget the why. The why that's lined out in chapter 13, verse 9, that it shall be a sign for them a sign on their hand and as a memorial between their eyes that the law of the Lord may be in their mouth for it is with a strong hand that the Lord has brought them out of Egypt and thus they shall keep this. It was a why to remember who God is and what he had done. And so the simple obedience of following the Lord's commands in these as confusing and maybe as unusual as they may seem to us 
would cause them to remember back on the Lord and also give them the confidence that they needed to trust him in the present. And so every year for them, this would be a reminder of the person and the power and the promises of God that he made to them no matter where they were. No matter where they were journeying, no matter what was going around them, uh, no matter who was their enemies, no matter the political climate within and without, isn't God so good and so wise to set up and institute these reminders for the people of Israel and to do so even for us? God is so good. He's so wise. He knows how forgetful we are. And as Christians today, those who are trusting in Christ, the once for all Passover lamb, we look back on the cross and we remember Christ's substitutionary death in our place. We remember what he did and how he lived the life that we couldn't live, how he, his body was beaten and his blood was poured out for us so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be uh, spared from the wrath of God and our sins atoned for, and then we could live a life in his presence, in the power of his spirit here today with the hope of eternal life forever. Do you believe that, church? Do you trust that? This is, who, this is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ as we repent of our sins and we trust in Christ and he's given even us a regular reminder, a regular fighting against the forgetfulness that plagues us both, a forgetfulness about what is so important. And even as we read this passage, there's foreshadowing ahead to Christ. The foreshadowing to, in John 19, where it points out that none of Christ's bones were broken. He would be the once for all Passover lamb. And so even as we take communion, which we will do today, the Bible would lay out certain commands even for us to follow. About the who's to take it. Communion is for believers. So for those who've trusted Christ, those who've been covered by his blood, those whose Christ paid the penalty for, which is for believers. Unbelievers are to observe. Unbelieving adults, if you're here and you're just skeptical, you're wondering, you're, whatever reason God has brought you in, it would be good and right just to let it go by. It's not for kids, it's for those who believe. The what is prescribed for us? So we take the bread and the blood, the bread signifying his body that was beaten and the blood signifying his blood that was poured out. The scripture even prescribes the how, the humble heart in which we come to the Lord's table examining our own heart, examining to say, am I right with Christ today? Is, am I hiding sin in my heart? Am I, am I making uh, too much? Am I making idols of things? And is Christ not enough? And praise God that he would give us a, a reminder, something to cause us to pause and to examine. Am I right with Christ? And secondly, am I right with the bride? For you husbands, yeah, that may be your wife. But what I'm speaking of is the church. Are we unified? Is there a sin that is in between an enmity between you and a brother or sister? This is God's reminder for us to be right, to be at peace, to be unified with his church, to be unified with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we have this consistent reset. God is so good. He's so wise. We are constantly distracted. 
as things, especially in our day, would seek to divide the body of Christ. We make much out of things that are, that are secondary issues, and this is our consistent reset for God to come back to remind us of what is most important. And yet God's commands aren't limited to memorial celebrations, are they? As we say, we fight forgetfulness by following the Lord's commands. Sure, we, we follow in, in his commands in this way, but he's given us commands and instruction for all of life and godliness, Second Peter 1 says. He's given us instructions for every situation. How, do, how are we to think through things? How are we to speak about things? How are we to act in every situation? God has given us instructions. And so how do we follow the Lord's commands? How do we use this as a weapon to fight our forgetfulness and to, uh, to continue on the path of following the Lord? Well, he's given us the greatest commandment, right? That sums them all up to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so as we seek to follow the Lord's commands, we, we love him with our mind, and what does that mean? It means that you've got to know and understand his commands. Your nose has to be in the book. You've got to read it. And if you say, well, I don't like to read, then listen to it. Don't just read it, but study it. Get deep into it. It's hard to forget the commands of the Lord when your nose is in it deeply. You want to love the Lord, get your nose in the book. This is how we love him with our mind. Failure to have our nose in the book is not loving the Lord with all of our mind. It's actually hating the Lord with our mind. Let's get our nose, let's know him, let's love him, let's fight forgetfulness by daily having our nose in the book, loving him with our mind and also loving him with our heart. It's not just, we don't just come to the book dutifully, we don't just come out of obligation because we have to, but we cheerfully take it in, delighting to hear from him, savoring it like you savor a good breakfast in the morning. When you're, at, you're, when your hunger is at its peak and you desire that meal, so too we come to the scripture with an attitude much like the, the, the writer of Psalm 19 who says, more to be desired, that speaking of the word of God, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. See, just like when we are, are, haven't been fed, when hunger is gnawing at us, we get a headache, we get angry, so too our soul has a headache, gets angry, when we are not in the word of God, when we are not delighting in it, but not only to intake it, but cheerful output, serving the Lord with gladness, serving the Lord with cheerfulness, remembering that it's not just enough to, to show up and to be dutiful, but we're eager for the opportunity. And as we are in the word of God daily, we remember these things. Our heart is cheered by, we love the Lord with all of our heart, with great joy and gladness on the daily so we come and we remember who God is and what he's done and that he would let us even work for him, to serve him, to follow after him and to be his light in the community. We love him with our mind. We love him with our heart. We love him with our strength, with all diligence, carefully, reliably, no excuses, but following hard after the Lord, relying on him. See, church, we fight forgetfulness. We stay on the straight and narrow when we follow the Lord's commands, when we do what he says is good and right, even when we don't understand, even when we don't have the full picture, even when the cost is great, we follow Christ. And so we fight against it. But there's a second way. See, we fight forgetfulness. The text also teaches us by faithfully offering our first fruits. Here's the second point. We fight forgetfulness by faithfully offering our first fruits. 
Join me back in Exodus 13, verse 1 here. And I want to read these passages. It says this, The Lord said to Moses then, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whoever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. And now jump down to 13, verse 11. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of the animals that are males shall be the Lord's, and every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. Or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. Now, this is God's word for God's people. And here's the, here's the thing. See, God gets what's first, not our leftovers. God gets what's first, not our leftovers. And so as a vivid reminder of what God did at Passover by, by sparing the firstborn of the Israelites and slaying the, the firstborn of Egyptians, he would, he would institute this principle of the firstborn or the firstfruits. All the firstborn livestock, as we just read, was to be offered to God in sacrifice. It was to be given to him in sacrifice. And for the unclean animals, like a, like a donkey, a clean animal, like a second-born lamb, could be offered in its place as a substitute, as the redemption price for anything that was unclean. And if there was no clean animals, if you didn't offer it, then it would just be sacrificed. All the firstborn humans, then, were to be offered to the Lord in service. All the firstborn, or, or they could also be bought at a redemption price, you know? They could, if you didn't want to give your, your firstborn in service to the Lord, then you could pay the redemption price, which is laid out later in the book of Leviticus. And actually later, then the Levites would be actually set aside as an entire tribe to serve the Lord in the tabernacle. And now some of us, you're like thinking, wow, like, what in the world? This is a steep price. Like, what, what's God doing? Some of you mamas are like uncomfortable here because you've got a fierce love. You're protective of your kids, especially your firstborn, right? Not that any of us would show partiality, right? Not that there's a greater love, but we're pretty fierce. And again, God is so good. He's so wise. He knows how forgetful that we are. But he would demand of us our first and our best because he is God. He knows how quickly we become independent. He knows how quickly we become self-preserving, where we become self-loving. He knows how quickly thoughts creep into our minds like, this is mine. Look what I've built. Look at the business that I've built. Look at this wealth that I've accumulated for myself. Look what I've done. He knows how quickly thoughts like this creep into our minds and we forget who God is and what he's done to deliver us. He comes and he hits us right where it counts. In a loving way, not because he's, he's mean, not because he's a, a, a demanding in some petulant way, but because he loves us. He knows how forgetful we are. See, we're no different, are we? We forget all the time. And while we maybe aren't offering our livestock where God isn't asking for our firstborn in the same way, we, faith, we fight forgetfulness by faithfully offering our firstfruits. The firstfruits of what we say around here of our time and our talent and our treasure. These resources that, uh, that we are given to steward our days on the earth, the gifts that God has given us, our financial resources. And so we too, we give God our first and our best and not our leftovers. 
And so how do, we, how do we do this? How do we faithfully offer our first fruits? Well, we are proactive with our time, talent, and treasures. We're not just reactive. See, we tell our time where to go. We tell our treasure where to go. We make plans, and then we adapt if things come. But on the forefront of our mind, because we want to remember, because we believe in what God has done, and we do not want to forget, we want to stay on the straight and narrow, then we budget we budget our time, we budget our talent, we budget our treasures. See, we're, what we're doing even now is a budgeting of our time as we give to the Lord the first and best of our week. Sunday being the first day, this is, we're saying even by being here, by gathering with God's people, of worshiping in him and giving to him, serving him this morning, we are saying, God, you get my first and the best of my week. I'm budgeting this time. It's not, uh, it's not a, 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 you know, kind of a decision that we make every Saturday night or Sunday morning. Am I going to? No, it's I get to. God, you've given me this time, and so there's no other way that I want to begin this week than by worshiping you. We give to him the first portion of our day. Which means we have to plan and budget the night before and not stay up too late and things. And we get up and we give the first part of our day to the Lord saying, God, I need your help. Feed me. Teach me. I need you. My soul needs you or it will languish today. I will too quickly forget if I don't spend time with you. And so we budget our time of our, of our week and of our day. We budget our talent to where the best use of our energy and our gifts goes to serving his kingdom whether here in the church or uh, amongst our neighbors, but we give the best of our talent and our energy, not to our work, but I'm not saying don't be excellent. Not in our, and, and, and even in our home, we, we're excellent. We just are budgeting so that God gets our best. Not the leftovers at the end of the week, at the end of the day. It's like, well, God, you know what? I guess I have a little bit of energy. No, because we love the Lord. We remember what he has done for us. He gets the best of our time, our talent, and our treasure. Where the first portion of what are the resources that he has given to us go to him in grateful joy. It's not like what's left at the end of the month. It's not that it's uh, what, uh, you know, well, I'm going to tip the Lord or I'm going to, you know, pay this toll to come. The preaching was okay today, so I guess we'll, we'll pay. No, no, no. Like we, at the beginning of the month, at the, every paycheck, we give to the Lord our first and our best. And this is how we fight forgetfulness. See, we often say, well, put your money where your mouth is. Well, I would submit to you today, let's put our money where our mind is with our thoughts on the Lord, with uh, these deep worshipful thoughts about uh, who God is and what he's done out of grateful praise, and we want everyone to know about it. And so we give to the Lord the first and the best use of even our treasure. You've probably heard it taught the principle of the tithe, giving a tenth, and that's an honorable place. It's not necessarily a command of scripture, but it is a great place for we as God's people to begin to give. And, and, and if that's like, if you're thinking like a tenth of my income, even now, and it's like, that's unreachable. The important thing is to come to the Lord with your first and best. What can you do? And then continuing to grow into it. Making it a principle or a goal in our life to even every year just be giving a little bit more. If the Lord should tarry and keep you around for a hundred years, then maybe it would be a hundred percent of your income. I don't know. Maybe some of you are already there. And we can get to that, and we can kind of get a little prideful, like, well, I give, I give my share, I do my piece. Well, let us not be forgetful about the why we get to give. 
Maybe you can give more. A tenth isn't, tenth isn't like the ceiling. It isn't the cap of what God would, uh, would require of us. He wants our heart. He wants our heart. And so we come giving to the Lord our first and the best. And so whatever amount it is, that is our heart. And each of these things is our monthly, our daily, our, our weekly reminder, our weekly weapon as disciples of fighting forgetfulness and keeping our minds fixed on the Lord, of keeping us from wandering away and going into that step away from the Lord. They keep us active in the mission. They keep us prioritizing God's purpose. That every time we're writing that check, every time we're serving and showing up, every time we do this, we're asking, why do I do this? Especially when it hurts, but we're reminding ourselves why, because we love the Lord. We get to do this, and so they keep us tender to God's past and present work in our life to deliver us from sin and to hold us in his presence. But these practices, they also keep us going forward in the mission. They also keep, a, keep it going, keep the gospel going to the generations to come so that not just in our heart, but those who come after us will know who God is and what he's done. See, in the midst of this passage here, here's the final point. We fight forgetfulness by forwarding our faith to the next generation. By forwarding our faith to the next generation. Look at, at Exodus 13, verse 8. It says this, in the midst of the instructions about uh, the unleavened bread, he says this, you shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And again, then jump down to verse 14. In the same way, he says, And when the time to come, your son asks you, What does this mean? You shall say to him, By a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for, a strong, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt." Now, this is God's word for God's people. And what this is teaching us here is that the past judgments are present teachers. Past judgments are present teachers. And so this same instruction to tell and to teach their sons that is repeated twice here are also instructed of the Lord by Moses. Back in the eighth plague, when the locusts were there, they're told to when your sons ask, what does this mean to tell of what God has done? And then at the time of the Passover, at that 10th judgment, as they were preparing that first Passover in chapter 12, 26, in the same way, tell your son what God is doing. And the repetition is key for us. The story of the Exodus was to be passed down from generation to generation. The story of deliverance about who God is. He is the great I am. And what he did as he freed them from this slavery was not to be forgotten. Was not to be left untold. That was not just uh, something to be kept in a dusty history book. And that's why God gave this celebration of the Passover. That's why he gave this feast, the offerings, uh, uh, the practice of the offerings. And here now this practice of the phylacteries so that they would remember. Now you see these instructions to bind it on their hand and put it on their forehead. It's a modern practice. Maybe as you've seen Orthodox Jews wear the phylacteries and keep scripture there tied. Now whether or not it's meant to be taken literally 
I think it is indicative to keep these things, we understand it, like to keep these things in our mind and before us as we make decisions about how we speak and how we spend our time. So these were instituted so that the adults would remember, for sure, but also as teachable moments for their kids. See, each of these practices, each of the commands, the decisions that we make as believers and the things that God has given us to do are discipleship opportunities to talk about the Lord. And so how do we forward our faith? You know, how do we do this? Sometimes maybe, especially as, as men, sometimes we worry because like, I don't have the gift of teaching. Can I, 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 I'm just way out of my comfort zone to lead a devotional with my kids. To, does this mean I have to like preach to my wife and set up like a little service? Um, no. It just simply means to talk about the word of God and the work of God with your kids daily. As you are in the word, as you are learning these things, as you are seeing God at work throughout the day, share it with your kids. Let them know on the daily that you are, what you are bringing in and just make it a habit. In the morning over breakfast, in the evening over the dinner table, as you lay in bed at night and as you put them to bed, just talk about the word of God and the work of God with them daily but also on special occasions. Just simply talk about them. Like, like today with communion, what a great teachable moment as your kids. I was like, why, why do we do this? Why do we, why do we sing songs? Dad, Dad why, do you, why do you give an offering? Why, why, do we, why do we get up early and go to church? Just tell them we do this so we don't walk away from the Lord. Live it out for sure, but talk about it. Tell your son. See, parents, here's the thing. Your kids should never doubt your love for the Lord. They should never doubt your love for Christ, and nor should they ever doubt your desire for them to love Christ. They should know that this is your highest priority for their life. Out of anything else, whether, you know, beyond them being a super great student or, or excelling in athletics or being a great musician, that the ultimate goal for their life, what you desire for them is to know and to love Jesus Christ. They should never, ever doubt that. And they should know this by how you speak, by how you schedule, by how you prioritize. And I've been challenged by this repeatedly in my own life, not just on the daily, but especially in this season. In this season of COVID, of what will my kids remember about this 10 years from now? You know, I look back and I was in uh, late high school. There was a senior in high school when 9-11 happened. And I have memories of what was going on in that day. But this is something that our kids will remember. What will they, as they look back on this season, what will they think of? Will they think of the chaos and the fear and the anxiety and the arguing that happened? Or they, will they look back and see and remember who God is, how he was faithful to us and what he did? Oh, I pray so. I pray that they will look back and see God's goodness by our example. And God, help me, help us to talk about it more. Help us to have eyes to see the goodness of God, even in the midst of this day, that we would talk about it more because I'm thinking about the goodness and the faithfulness and the steadfastness of God in these days. Now, this isn't just an application for we who are parents. This is an application for all who follow Christ. And I would challenge us to think, what will our neighbors, what will our coworkers, what will our students, what will, what will our family members remember about these days? What narrative is our life and mouth telling? Is it telling of faith in Christ or faith in government? 
Is the narrative of our life and mouth telling of a hope in Christ or a hope in science? Is our, the narrative of our life and our mouth telling of a love for Christ or a love for self in this season? Church, these are days brimming with teachable moments. These are days brimming with evangelistic opportunity, brimming with discipleship opportunities to, as Psalm 96 says, to declare his glory among the nations. To, they're brimming with opportunity to tell of his marvelous works among the peoples, to tell of the people that great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Say that he is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. These are days brimming with opportunities to ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, to ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, to ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. These are days brimming with opportunity. So let us keep these thoughts, these words bound on our hands, guiding our eyes, guiding the words that we say, guiding the meditations of our heart, guiding the worship that we bring to the Lord. See, the Israelites are hardly out of Egypt. They're just steps into the joy of their freedom. And God establishes these reminders for them in his infinite love. So that as the story continues, as their story continues, so that when the times would get tough, they would not forget. So that when sin was the easy way, they would not forget the Lord's way. So that when suffering was painful, they would not forget the tender mercy of God. So that when loneliness was loud, they would not forget the nearness of God. See, church, we must remember that God is who he says he is. We must remember, even in these days, that when God was faithful then, he'll be faithful now. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, here we are. We're your people uh, amazed at your good work among us. Were your people just uh, uh, amazed that you would uh, do this in the Israelites and you, you're still even uh, today putting these things before us that we would not forget. God, we want to be uh, kept on the straight and narrow. We want to be kept in your hands. And so we just confess that we are forgetful. But today, God, we remember. We remember in grateful humble worship what you have done, what you are continuing to do even among us. And so God, as, we, as we're here and we're uh, preparing to sing, we're preparing to take communion, would you do this good work in our heart that today is a, a, a new day? Today we're going to faithfully follow you. Today we're going to press ahead all for your glory and only by your help. And so Christ, we look to you now. Following after you, we're offering our best. We, are, we, we wanna forward our faith. So help us, give us the strength. Even now we pray in Christ's name.